Friends, let us turn our hearts to God in prayer. O God of our present trouble and promised triumph, open our eyes to see you in the midst of our struggles. Open our ears to hear your words of invitation and assurance. Open our minds to recall your wonderful works and open our hearts to seek strength in your word. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Our Old Testament lesson today is from the book of Genesis, chapter 31, and I will read verses 1 through 28, inclusive. Hear this story from Scripture. Jacob settled in the land where his father had lived as an alien, the land of Canaan. This is the story of the family of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was shepherding the flock with his brothers. He was a helper to the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father, Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his children because he was the son of his old age and he had made him a long robe with sleeves. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably to him. Once Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream that I dreamed. There we were, binding sheaves in the field, and suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright. Then your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to have dominion over us? So they hated him even more because of his dreams and his words. He had another dream and told it to his brothers, saying, Look, I have had another dream. The sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What kind of dream is this that you have had? Shall we indeed come, I and your mother and your brothers, and bow to the ground before you? So his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their father's flock near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. He answered, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and a man found him wandering in the fields. The man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. The man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan, and they saw him from a distance. 
And before he came near to them, they conspired to kill him. They said to one another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we shall say that a wild animal has devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he delivered him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life. Reuben said to them, Shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness. But lay no hand on him, that, that he might rescue him out of their hand and restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, <clears throat> they stripped him of his robe, the long robe with sleeves that he wore, and they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat, looking up as they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels carrying gum, balm, and resin on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers agreed. When some Midianite traders passed by, they drew Joseph up, lifting him out of the pit, and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they took Joseph to Egypt. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. What kind of a dream could possibly make this band of brothers so angry at Joseph that they would throw him into a pit so deep he couldn't climb out. What kind of a dream could possibly make Reuben and Simeon and Levi and Judah and Dan and Naphtali and Gad and Asher and Issachar and Zebulun throw their younger brother into an escape-proof cistern devoid of water and then casually sit down to eat as if nothing had happened. Cisterns are scary things. The small farmhouse in rural South Dakota in which I grew up until I was 12 wasn't connected to a municipal water source. Instead, we had a cistern to hold our water supply. It was a concrete-lined pit dug underneath the floor of our front enclosed porch. It had a cover that was flush with the floor, and we had a big old red couch sitting over it to keep it at bay from curious ones who might be tempted to pull the cover off. I don't remember exactly how big it was, but my older brother remembers that it was about six feet deep, four feet across, with the cover about a foot and a half wide, 
To a child, it seemed enormous. And whenever we were running low on water, we would make a quick call to Harvey Ortman, who would drive onto the yard with his water truck to deliver a fresh supply of water. He'd run a big hose from the water tank through the door of the porch and into the cistern. It meant that my parents had to move the old red couch aside and move the cover over so that Harvey could drop the big hose down inside. Now, my sisters and I were morbidly fascinated with the process. We were terrified of falling in, but we still wanted to watch. You see, we knew another family who had experienced a tragedy with theirs. So the danger was always front and center whenever Harvey and his truck came around. I'd breathe a sigh of relief every time he was done, closed the cover, and moved the heavy old couch back into its place. The thing is, even if that cistern had been empty, it still would have been dangerous. What kind of a dream could possibly cause Joseph's older brothers to feel so threatened that they would toss him into an empty cistern and keep him there until they sold him like a piece of property for 20 pieces of silver? Now, there are no innocent ones in this story, not even Joseph. He's spoiled by dad, robed in a technicolor dream coat. He's a tattletale and a bragger, and in his dream, his brother's bundles of harvested corn bow down to his, and the sun, moon, and eleven stars bow down to him. The family pecking order is about to change. If he had dreamed of the status quo, everything would be fine, writes Luke Powery. But this change is what disturbs Joseph's big brothers. It's a change they don't believe in. Walter Brueggemann says this threat is about the power of dreams, the political power of dreams. A dream is a power which neither tradition nor force can finally resist, he writes. This dream is a public one about power. As we might expect, these dreams are dreamed especially by the powerless one in the family. Dreams permit the imagining of new political possibilities which immediately threaten the old, and call it into question. So the dream threatens the brothers and the empire. They resist the dream, for they know the threat of hope. They are the older ones. They have had things as they wanted them. And against their age and power, the boy is helpless. It seems to me that across the millennia since it was first told, this story keeps getting retold in new ways. 
Yet it's the same old story. A dream disturbs and disrupts. A dream jeopardizes the present power structure. What kind of a dream does that in our world? What kind of a dream leads to yesterday's violent and racist and death-dealing protest by neo-Nazis, Klansmen, and white supremacists over the removal of a Confederate statue in Charlottesville? What kind of a dream leads to that? What kind of a dream results in the passing of voter suppression laws in 22 states? The dream of racial and economic and social equality for every black and brown person. What kind of a dream brings about angry threats of detention and deportation, even for dreamers brought into our country without documentation when they were children? The dream of opportunity and safe shelter for immigrants of different religions and ethnicities. What kind of a dream interferes with the economic benefits of class and means? The dream of affordable health care for every person, no matter how little money they have. What kind of a dream gets Marion Kramer and Bill Wiley Kellerman thrown into jail? Their dream that families in Detroit should have water for their bathrooms and for cooking. What kind of a dream leads to bathroom bills and transgender bans? A dream that refuses to let some people be considered less than because they don't conform to binary categories. What kind of a dream meddles with individual convenience and monetary profits and positions that deny the science of climate change? The dream of bequeathing a healthy planet for our children. As Brueggemann says, if you're well off, you prefer what is to what may come by way of dreams. The way to deal with the dream is to kill it, kill the dreamer, and thereby the dream. What kind of a dream threatens the old and calls it into question? A God-sized dream. Every time I study a scripture story, I either learn something I didn't know or I relearn something that I've forgotten. In today's Joseph story, I relearned that God isn't even mentioned. There is no overt reference to the divine. We are in chapter 37 of Genesis, and in the whole cycle of Joseph's stories, of which today's is a part, God never gets mentioned until chapter 50. And yet, although unseen and obscured, the purposes of God are at work. 
Regardless of what Joseph's brothers did in response to the dream, regardless of what Joseph himself thought the dream meant for him, God's power would work in spite of and through their actions. Now, I am tempted to give you the end of Joseph's story if you don't already know it. I'm tempted to race through the twists and turns of the next 13 chapters of Genesis all the way to chapter 50 and let you know how it all ends. In fact, one commentator even went so far as to suggest a preacher shouldn't preach on this text unless they were also preaching on next week's text. But I'm going to resist that temptation. For you see, this is how God-sized dreams seem to work, much to my personal dismay. God's action is often hidden and unseen. Sometimes we get to see and recognize it in hindsight. Other times we don't know how it turns out. Just as Joseph and his brothers really had no clue as to what that dream of sheaves and stars would ultimately mean. So the best thing that we can do is to go back time and time again to the witness of Scripture, to hold fast to the promise that what God has accomplished before, God will do again. Where are we in Joseph's story? Are we killers of dreams? Even if not through violence, are we killers of dreams through our apathy and silence? Or are we dreamers of dreams? And if we're dreamers of dreams, are they big enough? Are they God-sized? I've mentioned before that I'm spending two years studying with a group of clergy leaders from around the country. And when we were together in July, we had a chance to meet with Bishop Eugene Robinson. You may remember him as the first openly gay bishop in the Episcopal Church. And he's recently been named vice president for the Department of Religion at the Chautauqua Institution. And in his meeting with us, he asked us each to tell him what our biggest dream was for the work we were leading in our respective communities. So I shared about my involvement with Great Schools for All and my dream that we would ultimately see state legislative action so that we can have diverse, equitable education for all children across all economic and racial lines, no matter what zip code they live in. My colleagues, Luke and Beth, shared their dreams of their work to end opioid addiction in their communities in the southern tier and in Maine and New Hampshire. 
Sean shared his dream for medical cannabis legislation in Pennsylvania so that a child from his community could get the relief from pain that she needs. Wanji shared her dream of greater inclusion in her denomination for LGBT clergy and for an end to forms of discrimination against women of color. And Timoth shared his dream of helping to increase adoptions of special needs children in the foster care system, even as he and his husband have adopted three such boys themselves. We went around the room, the nine of us sharing our respective visions, which, if realized, seemed to me at least to be significant. And then do you know what Bishop Robinson said? He said, if I have one thing to say to every one of you, it's this, dream bigger. What I think he was saying was, your dreams are too small. Your dreams are human-sized. Instead, dream God-sized dreams. I think his experience taught him the power of a dream that enabled him to walk through crowds of hate-wielding protesters wearing a bulletproof vest underneath his clergy vestments. I think he knew something of the power of a dream that meant the wider church would move a step closer to becoming a community of justice and liberation. Brueggemann says that's the hidden purpose of God that is initiated through Joseph's dream, the creation of a community of liberation. Neither Joseph nor his family knows what they are dealing with, he writes. The narrator gives no hint that this is from God, but there is no doubt about God's governing intent and capacity. It is God who guards the dream and the dreamer until the dream is public. Joseph did not need to see fully to receive the dream. Scripture is filled with God-sized dreams. John of Patmos had one that he wrote in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation 21. See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them as their God they will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. See, I am making all things new. Will we be killers of dreams? or dreamers of dreams. And if we are the latter, how big will they be?
Amen.